Hi, good afternoon. Um, thanks again also to the organizers for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, as um, Dan, I think, was saying in the morning, there's um, not quite enough um, exchange between the likes of us and, and those working in academia on peace building and, and conflict-related issues. So um, I'm always glad for having this opportunity. Um, the agreed task for me um, today was to speak about, um, in very concrete terms, how um, peace building looks like and what it's like to work on peace building in the context of the Georgian Abkhaz conflict, which is one of the post-Soviet, um, one of the conflicts that plays out in the post-Soviet space um, and is about the contest between self-determination and territorial integrity. Um, in order to talk about um, practice of working in this area, um, I can't avoid talking at least briefly about what the conflict really is about. And that to do that in two or three minutes is really, really challenging um, because as, it, as is the case with most conflicts, there, there's not one story to tell. There are countless stories to tell the, the, the story of the Georgian Abkhaz conflict. Um, and I won't be able to do justice to all the different perspectives and views that are there locally and internationally. Um, one thing I thought I would do, though, um, to give some sort of illustration, especially to those of you that are not really dealing with that area of the world at all, um, is to, to make you think of um, the Matryoshka doll, which is this Russian doll where you stack smaller dolls into the bigger ones and um, the bigger one gets stacked into the yet bigger one. Um, you've seen these. Um, so if you think of the Soviet Union as something like that in very simplified form, I admit it, you would think of the Soviet Union as the biggest doll of all, and that's being ruled and governed by Moscow. Within that, you've got um, the Soviet um, Socialist Re Republic of Georgia, which is part of the Soviet Union, obviously, and governed by Tbilisi, but also governed by Moscow. Within that, yet, you've got the Autonomous Republic of Abkhazia, which is part of the Georgian um, territory, also part of the Soviet Union. It's governed by a local government in Suhum or Suhumi, I'll come to that later, um, but also being governed by Tbilisi and eventually by Moscow. Um, so when in the 80s, and obviously the conflict goes back many more years and centuries, and whoever you ask, people have different views on, on the tensions that happened over the years and centuries, um, and they will always also have evidence to support these. But um, in the late 80s, when the um, nation, smaller nations um, within the Soviet republics um, started struggling more actively um, and partially violently um, for independence of the Soviet Union. Um, the doll in the middle, which we call the, 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 the Georgian doll here, um, would fight very vehemently against what they perceived as suppression from the biggest doll um, in, in a process of 
nation building and building national identity. And that came with a very strong national and nationalist movement. And in that process, things were being said and done that made people in the yet smaller doll, and not only in that doll, but largely people who lived within the Georgian territory and were not ethnic Georgians, feel very uncomfortable. And some of these would then also develop their own national movements. And obviously, there were clashes. Um, there's a lot to say about this, but um, I, I'll stop here just to give some illustration of um, what was going on. Um, the situation we have now is um, we've got these two entities, as, as we call them, the, the sovereign Georgian state. Um, and if you ask a Georgian, he or she will probably say the conflict now is, about, is all about Russia. Um, and what's happening in the breakaway regions is um, occupation by Russian forces against our will um, and without our consent. If you ask someone in Abkhazia what the conflict is about, he or she will probably say it's a conflict between us and the Georgians. Um, they don't see that we have the right to self-determination the same way that they, they have this right. Um, and it's Russia um, that provides security for us living in Abkhazia against potential aggression and violence from the Georgians. And actually pretty much everything in this context is contested, um, everything is disputed. Um, people, the Georgians and Abkhaz have different ways of framing the conflict, of talking about grievances, of talking about history. They've got different ways of um, spelling and pronouncing place names. Often it comes down to one single letter that people fight about and it sounds ridiculous and absurd, but it really matters to people. Um, and um, also the international architecture that is supposedly there to support peace and peace building is, is hugely fraught um, with, um, or flawed, let's say, um, um, in that international actors are supporting usually either one or the other of the two entities. Um, so we've got the Abkhaz supported by their northern neighbor, big neighbor, Russia, and we've got the Georgians, whose ter territorial integrity is being supported by mostly the rest of the world, really. Um, in fact, everything is obviously more complex than any entity will admit to see themselves. Um, and there are several, several layers um, that contribute to the conflict. We, as an international um, peace-building organization, um, Julia didn't mention it, but our name is Conciliation Resources. Um, we come in, in a, as a, with a very tricky position, which is um, we don't take sides in this conflict. Um, we see our role in helping local people to develop ideas and to develop, ultimately, societies in both entities and across um, that are able to manage and deal with conflict constructively without any use of violence. So, coming to the place names and 
how you perceive history and how you perceive yourself and the other. Um, it's really tricky because, the, for instance, I, I was talking about this one letter. It's the letter I, actually, that we constantly fight about in, in, the, South, in the Georgian Abkhaz context. Um, the Abkhaz call their capital, well, in Abkhaz language, it'd be Akwa, but hardly anyone speaks Abkhaz language anymore, sadly. Um, when they speak Russian or English, they will refer to their capital as Suhum. Um, the Georgians, when they speak Georgian, will call it Sohumi. When they speak English or Russian, they will call it Suhumi. Um, so when you come to either Tbilisi or Suhum, Suhumi, and you talk about Suhum or Suhumi, people will judge you by that. They will not assume the obvious, for, and that applies to researchers as well. If you come in to Abkhazia, say, and you talk about Suhumi, people will not assume the obvious, which is that you probably are not aware of the sensitivities and that there's one letter can cause so much offense they will assume that you've taken sides and they will judge you by that. Um, similarly, um, when you talk about the line that separates the Georgian motherland from the Berikawi region, the Abkhaz will refer to this as a border. The Georgians will call it an administrative borderline. Um, if you talk about those that were the ethnic Georgians that were displaced from Abkhazia, during the wars in the early 90s. Um, the Abkhaz will call these people refugees because from their perspective, they've crossed a state border. Um, the Georgians will refer to these people as internally displaced persons because they have not crossed a state border. So we as internationals um, who don't take sides will write suhum slash e we will talk about um, the boundary or the boundary line and we will talk about displaced populations. Um, okay, I'll skip a few things here. Um, what it comes down to with the APRAs, I think, um, is something that we talked about earlier. can't remember exactly who it was, but... Um, on the international arena, um, the APRAs feel that their concerns have never really been taken seriously. Um, and when that happens, people tend to become very defensive. And when they're defensive, um, they find it hard to think about making any compromise. And that's the, the part of the stuckness that we see, see ourselves in at the moment. So what is it we do in this context that is really, really um, yeah, it is really stuck. I can't put it um, differently at this minute. Um, as I said, we, we, we support local actors um, to build more healthy societies. Um, we work with civil society actors. We work with the displaced communities. We work with young politicians and young activists. We work with journalists, and we work with um, filmmakers. Um, one example I wanted to give of, of our work um, um, which I thought might be more relevant to um, um, the audience today, is um, explain a little bit how we um, use methods of research and research methodologies um, um, at several levels. Um, when we 
use research methodologies, um, they fulfill several purposes. Um, one is obviously to generate knowledge and insights and understanding, um, but another is to, to build relationships, um, to build local, local capacities, um, and to generate public debate, often to raise a new, often difficult, or uncomfortable and painful issue, and ultimately also to impact on policies. And the one example I wanted to give um, is a project we, um, we just finalized, actually. Um, it'll finish by the end of this month, um, which we um, implemented together with our colleagues at um, Safer World, another London-based organization, um, and which was called, um, I didn't come up with that name, these were colleagues, um, the People's Peace People's Peacemaking Perspectives. Um, the project was being funded by the EU, by the Instrument for Stability, um, and the task was to look, well, between our, our organizations, to look at 18 different contexts around the world that are affected by conflict or um, fragility, um, and really find out what do people locally, and this goes beyond those living in the capitals, but actually people that usually, whose, whose voices are usually not being heard at all in conflict analysis even, um, to see what these people think about the conflict. And in our particular case of the Georgian Abkhaz conflict, where a lot of um, analysis has been generated and, and published um, by us or our colleagues at International Alert, together with local partners, we really tried to ask people um, who are not the usual suspects. Um, so people in the opposition, people, um, very local, um, people in very remote areas, young people, um, businessmen, um, and uh, politicians on both sides of the divide. Um, what their understanding is of the conflict, but also um, what, the, what their perception of the EU is and what role they think the EU may play in moving peace-building efforts forward. Um, and the good thing about this was that um, this, these studies were basically committed by, commissioned by the EU. Um, so we had a lot of buy-in from um, officials in Brussels. Um, I'll finish in a minute. Um, um, and um, as I said, it was not only about generating knowledge and insights, but about building relationship ships. So um, how we did this was we worked with partners on either side of the divide um, who conducted um, focus groups and interviews with these constituencies of their societies that I mentioned earlier. Um, but then we brought them all together um, and had a three-day advocacy, advocacy workshop for people from both sides of the divide to present their um, different findings, and then really come up with joined-up messages from across those two entities that really struggle to find common ground on on on, um, on most things, and come up um, with messages really concerning the EU and how the EU can help better um, move um, peace-building forward and engaging more constructively. Um, with the authorities on both sides of the divide. Um, I have to stop, I think. Um, lots more to say, but... Um, but we'll bring back the questions as well. Definitely. Thank you.
Thank you.